Tabchar, a college public relations professor based in Toronto. My goal for my podcast is to interview PR practitioners with interesting stories to tell, and I wanted to share those with my students. I've decided to call it PR Delivered. I think it's probably a good idea for them to learn how to code. In the same way, that you know it's a good idea to learn how to type now you may not be a touch typer you can do 100 150 words a minute but you have to know your way around it so that when you see a page of code even on a website like on a wordpress site you go to the code you can read it and start to understand what it's doing favorite classes to teach at Humber College is fourth year emerging issues, where students develop seminars on emerging PR industry trends. The reason I enjoy teaching the course so much is that the topics evolve year to year, keeping it interesting, and the students usually put in a strong effort developing informative seminars. Some recent trends that were explored included developing accessible communication, the emergence of TikTok, the rise of nano-influencers, PR's role in sustainability, and AI in PR. Exploring the role of artificial intelligence in PR was a popular topic choice among students, and I knew just the right speaker for the job. I connected the students to Martin Waxman, a digital communications strategist who has shared his insights on AI and PR on a number of PR industry podcasts, including Inside PR, and at industry conferences for CPRS and PRSA, and in a TEDx talk for Trinity Bellwoods. In this podcast, I wanted to focus on how Martin identifies trends, keeps on top of trends, and why he's decided to delve deeply into AI. I also hoped to get his latest take on what PR students, and young practitioners in particular, need to know and do to not only stay on top of AI-related issues, but how to stay relevant in our ever-changing industry. Martin is the president of a PR consultancy, teaches social media at a number of institutions, developed a LinkedIn learning series and newsletter, leads social media workshops, conducts AI research, and sits on the hashtag AI and PR panel. Martin will be speaking about AI at the upcoming IPR Bridge Conference. Welcome, Martin. Thank you, Andrea, for that really wonderful intro. I, I feel like I'm blushing. Anyway, it is so great to be here. And it's always great to be a part of your classes as a guest lecturer, because the Humber program is so fantastic for communication students who really want to either get a degree or a certificate and learn the skills they need. Thanks for that, Martin. I appreciate it. Um, as you mentioned, you've been a guest speaker in a number of my PR classes over the years. Uh, you teach your own courses at York, U of T, Seneca, and McMaster, and you have a terrific series on LinkedIn. Um, let us know what else you're up to when you're not in the classroom. 
Well, when I'm not in a classroom, I'm usually in front of some kind of screen these days. Um, I live in Toronto and, you know, kind of with my wife, we like to explore downtown, which is where we live. And I also try to keep up to speed by doing a lot of reading. That's one of the things I really like to do is reading both fiction and nonfiction. These days, though, it's mostly nonfiction. And that, that started when I went back to school to do a master's in communications management from uh, McMaster's and Syracuse universities a few years back. And I had to read a lot of theory. And so when I was starting the program, I said to my wife, you know what, I, I'm just going to not read fiction too much for a few years, except that and delve into theory, delve into nonfiction. And you know what, it's stuck. That's interesting. Good way to spend your time, right? Yeah. Reading. Um, so I'm going to guess part of the answer to the next question, that reading played a role in getting you interested in AI. So tell us about that. Yeah, it really did. And I, I think my interest in artificial intelligence is similar to how I got interested in social and digital media in, you know, like 2004, five or six. It's funny, when I think back on it, in the early 2000s, so 2001 or two, I was working for an agency, I'm not going to say the name of the agency, but this agency did not have a website. And I kept saying to them, we need a website, we need a website. And the response that I would get from the senior partners was, no, we're giving too much information away by saying we do media relations and events. There was nothing really on there. I actually wrote three websites. And in fact, way back when we pitched Yahoo, we had the opportunity to pitch and we had a, what I thought was a great deck. I really wanted to win them. And we walk in, we started to say, excuse us, um, we couldn't find your website. Do you have one? And we said, uh, no, we're trying to get one. They said, okay, this meeting's over. It was, wow. <laughs> how can you possibly work for us if you don't have that basic piece of internet real estate? And so when I started my own agency a few years later, I really wanted to focus on, you know, being current with technology, the internet. That led me to social media. And I found that the beginnings of AI, so it coincided with my time at uh, McMaster, when I was looking for a topic to research, were similar to the beginnings of social media, a lot of hype, a lot of interest in it, a lot of promises, many over promises. And I thought this is pretty interesting, because it's like taking elements of science fiction, and bringing them to life. And in fact, you know, if you wear an Apple Watch, it's like being in a Dick Tracy comic, you know, from the 30s or 40s, where here you have this detective talking into his watch. Well, sometimes a phone rings and I'll talk into my watch. Go. And it's quite surreal. And, and so I could see potential with artificial intelligence, but it also scared me because I didn't really understand it. I didn't understand how it worked. I didn't understand uh, some of the issues. So I thought, you know, I've, I've got to find out about it. I'm not a coder, but hopefully there's enough I can learn without learning to code, although that's on my list somewhere, to get a handle on it and begin to understand how we could apply it strategically in what we do and, and the part that communicators will play 
in the implementation of, you know, artificial intelligence across the enterprise. What I love that you said is that it scared you, but that didn't stop you. And I can draw a parallel, you know, you jumped into social uh, a couple years ahead of me, but back when I started teaching the first social media course at Humber, terrified me, you know, the thought of teaching young people social media terrified me at the time. And since then I have learned that we're all a little terrified and we all have something to learn, whether you're 12 or in 92, you know, you've got something to learn when it comes to social and, and when it comes to AI, the same thing, like the fact that you were scared, the fact that you were challenged by it made you delve into it, which I think is a good lesson in and of itself. If, if you fear something, learn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. And I'm still scared of it yeah. in, in many, many ways or scared of the consequences. Let's say that because uh, one of my big worries, and it's not only mine, you know, many people have talked about this, written about this, is that it's shiny, it's new, and we'll just say yes, the way, you know, people say uh, yes to giving away all the data, camera access, microphone access to virtually any app without reading the terms of service. I don't read the terms of service either. I mean, you know, written in legalese, teeny, teeny type, goes on and on and on. But you know, the repercussions of that on our privacy when we have, you know, these our smartphones, which are with us all the time, and they're surveilling us, and it will only get potentially worse with artificial intelligence. So I think we need to approach it with excitement, caution and trepidation. I I agree. Um, In your talk at Humber's Emerging Issues class, you spoke about four key AI trends. Could you give us a brief overview of those four trends? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And and it's really four trends that I think is going four trends that I think are going to change marketing and communications in the near and longer term. So it's not going to happen tomorrow, but you'll see things I think within six months, eight months, um, not five years down the road. And so the first one is human sounding artificial voices. And we first caught a glimpse of that, I think in 2018, Google demonstrated its duplex conversational voice assistant that could call a restaurant or a hair salon, book book an appointment, and it sounded like us. It didn't sound like the robot voices that Alexa has or Siri or so many of the other artificial voices have. It had uh, speech disfluencies, ums and ahs. It paused. It had personality. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So that's the first trend human sounding voices. Second thing is um, deep fake videos and photos. So really, with deep fake videos, I'm sure your listeners know what they are. That's when you put a person's image onto, uh, you know, a video showing them doing or saying something they didn't say or do. Deep fake photos are a little different. What they are is they're synthetic photos that look like people. And you see them on some social media profiles, and they look really real. There are some tricks to finding out, like you have to look really closely at different parts to see if they're pixelated or not, but they look convincingly believing. So suddenly you have voices that sound like us, and you have um, these images that look like us but aren't real. And... You know, there's no reason those images couldn't be in a deep fake video. So suddenly they're 
embodied at least in digital too. So they sound like us, they look like us, and you know they don't really act like us. Then there's uh, the notion of natural language processing, which is when computers are able, and I'm using this in air quotes, understand what we say or the meaning of, of what we say. What they do is they don't understand the way we understand, they see patterns. They digest, you know, um, millions of pages of text or and go through them to find patterns and so they can predict what will fit where. And then that that's being applied through natural language generation where you put in a prompt. So it could be a person asking a question to say an AI chatbot that's in video um, and has a voice that sounds like us and it will come up with an answer that's pretty good. Google just announced at their recent developer conference that they've come up with a an AI algorithm they call Lambda. I don't know what Lambda stands for, but there's no B in it. It's L-A-M-D-A. I think it's language model, something else. And what Lambda does is it takes conversations from just specific information and um, relevant information to making them interesting. So the turn of the phrase that you might have, the questions that come out of nowhere, the sense of humor, that's being added. So suddenly you have AI that sound like us, that look like us, we see videos, we're interacting with them, and what we ask them starts to make sense. And then that leads us to the type of relationship that we could have with that AI, knowing that the AI is not a conscious entity, it is just uh, an intermediary that represents an organization. So really our relationships is with the organization, but we think it's with this fake AI being. And so as a communicator, you know, how do we help our organizations communicate ethically, transparently, in a way that's believable? How do we envision the answers to the questions that our stakeholders or customers or audiences, whatever you want to call them, are asking? And, and how do we make sure that the consequences of, you know, using or implementing one of these chatbots are positive and not negative? How do we manage bias in the data set to ensure that, you know, if you speak in accented English, you get an answer that makes sense to you? Because right now, a lot of uh, the digital voice assistants, they don't understand accented English. If you, if the AI looks at you and you're a person of color, potentially, or a woman, you know, and it, it hasn't been trained on enough data, so it can't recognize who you are, or what you may be, uh, or what you may be interested in, sorry, then, you know, the results you get won't be very good. And that will ultimately reflect badly on the organization. So all of those are areas that I think we need to start paying, ten paying attention to and, and understanding, beginning with just the definition of the word algorithm. It's a little, you know, whenever I talk to students, I always say, who can define algorithm? Because it's a word you use every single day. And almost nobody can do it. And all it is, it's, it's a recipe, set of steps, to solve a mathematical problem. So just getting a handle on the vocabulary that data scientists and computer programmers and developers use, that puts us way 
ahead of the curve right there. But we need to spend the time to do that. So one of the, thank you for sharing the trends. You've also talked about some of the challenges with um, ethical challenges, staying transparent, um, all of those pieces matter. So my question for you was, um, originally, what are those challenges? You've addressed those. So what's the next step for practitioners? How do we learn to address those, those issues? What is, where do we turn for that, for that help? Do you think? Well, I think there's lots of great online resources. So I think step one is getting an understanding of statistics. And I think you guys teach statistics, basic statistics in the Humber uh, BAA program, right? Yes. And I, I know we do in uh, the diploma. They have an analytics course. In our BPR program, we do have a stats course. Yeah. Yeah. BPR, sorry. Um, and that's really important. And now a lot of communications people went into communications because you hate math. You don't have to become a master statistician, but you need to understand the basics of what's a regression. You know, if you're using a regression model, what does that mean? If you're using, you know, correlations, uh, standard deviation, just very, very simple things like that. And a great book to read, if I can say, uh, and I hate to say this because it sounds like, I'm contradicting myself. A great book, a fun book on statistics. It's by a guy named Charles Whelan, W-H-E-E-L-A-N. And it's called Naked Statistics. It is a fun read. And he's got a great sense of humor. And he uses examples that we understand. And what's so, what I really liked about the book is that the first part explains it so that you know how to apply it. And then at the end, he gives you resources if you want to delve deeper. But at least knowing how to apply it, that's step one. So statistics, get a handle on that. You can take courses in it too. LinkedIn Learning offers courses, um, Udemy, Coursera. And along with that is make sure you understand how to use Excel or Google Sheets properly rather than just, you know, as a great document for a chart, like how can you pull in a, you know, a set of data to it and what can you do with it? How can you get the mean? What's the difference between mean, median, and mode? Different, just very basic. So that's step one. Step two is starting to get familiar with some of the language around um, the algorithms. So the different types of algorithms. And a great, another great book to read is one by Janelle Shane. She's a PhD researcher. Again, great sense of humor. It's called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You. And it's really funny. She has nice illustrations. Janelle Shane writes a great blog too, which I would encourage you to check out. It's called AI Weirdness. So AIweirdness.com, written on Tumblr. What she'll do is she'll like train algorithms, like a natural language processing algorithm uh, to come up with uh, the words to sea shanties or come up with, with new ideas for Disney characters and the types of movies they're in. They're really funny because sometimes they make a lot of sense, but often they're just like so out there or gruesome, you know, and you see that by, by reading her posts, you get it, you know, you start to understand, you don't necessarily know the limitations of AI. And right now we only have narrow AI. 
Narrow AI is based on statistical predictions. That's why statistics are so important for people to start with. So statistical predictions, and those predictions can be really good or they can be really awful. And if they're awful, potentially the consequences that come out of them could be bad. You know, maybe your privacy is breached, your data is breached, or even just annoying. You're served ads that, you know, really you're not interested in. So we need to start understanding that. There's some great resources too, if, if students want to subscribe to newsletters. MIT Technology Review has a really good um, newsletter that comes out every day, and you can start to get a handle on things. Um, Cassie Kozirkov, K-O-Z, or for any American listeners, Z-Y-R-K-O-V. She's a chief uh, data scientist for Google. She does these great videos and medium posts on AI and stats and what it can do. Again, fantastic sense of humor. So it makes it relatable. The challenge is, you know, the terminology is hard to understand if you don't have a computer science or a statistics background. So anyone who can make it relatable by comparing, you know, how a machine makes a decision to how you choose a, a Halloween costume, it makes it easier to take. Sort of like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> I'm not going to sing that. Thank you. Thanks, but although maybe we would have you know, that. <laughs> so that's very helpful. And it leads into my next question. Um, there's a fear among workers in general that AI is going to take over their jobs. In your opinion, is this fear founded in reality? Um, I think there's a little, we need to be concerned. Absolutely. I think what we're probably going to see after having, again, read a number of books and research reports on this is that for jobs like communications, for example, or marketing, we'll see a human AI collaboration. So maybe we'll be working with an AI algorithm or application to generate ideas. So it'll be part of a brainstorm, for example. Um, maybe the AI will even write the first draft. In fact, there, there's... Um, a new application that was developed out of uh, University of Waterloo um, by two sisters who have since sold it for a lot of money. One of them is still involved in the company. It's called Copysmith, copysmith.ai. And what it does is there's a template in there for an event news release. So all you have to do is put in the date, put in you know, is, who the audience is, um, and just what, what it's about, and boom, within like 30 seconds, you get five or six or seven versions of an event news release, unfortunately, and it's pretty good as a first draft. But when you look at them, there's some things in there that aren't good, because it will make up things. AI, AI is natural language processing can mimic us really well or really poorly, but it's not filtered for the truth. So you'll see a quote, and the quote sounds pretty good, but it's attributed to a person who doesn't exist in a job title that the organization does not have. And in some cases, it makes up an organization. 
And so when you read that, you go, okay, it's got to come a long way, but it's a good assistant. Like it's great at generating ideas. Right. So, so that's where I think we, we need it. We can use it. Um, in terms of analytics, you know, we know that for example, um, if, if you work in, say, consumer products, there's going to be holiday stories. In order to get in front of, you know, longer lead media or influencers, you want to get it to them earlier. But maybe by having an, um, an algorithm pull in the data about what your target audience, influencers, consumers were interested in reading about, clicking on, you can start to see patterns that you didn't see before. And suddenly you go, ah, oh, hmm. They're interested in this and this. Well, we have a product that does both. Let's come up with a new take on that. And all of a sudden you've used what the AI does to get you an insight that you can then turn into a piece of content that will hopefully break through the clutter. So it, it's things like that. But again, unless we understand analytics and, and don't shy away from them, unless we understand what the algorithms do, we, we certainly um, will be left behind. You know, marketing will jump in and grab it the way they often do when it comes to things like communications. And then we also have to be informed enough to ask the right questions. You know, how will this affect our audience? What kinds of data are we using? Does it adhere to all the privacy reg regulations? And if not, um, how can we make it adhere to them? Are there any possible negative consequences that could come out of this AI application that we haven't thought about? So AI that's designed to do one thing, it does that, but it also does something else. And that something else is really bad. What will we do to uh, manage and mitigate a data breach? You know, those are all questions we need to be able to ask. But unless we have a more than a base understanding, we won't be able to ask those. So if they're going, oh yeah, that sounds good. That's a, those are really good points. And you get back to understanding the stats, understanding the algorithms, understanding the language and the numbers. And uh, those are really good tips and a direction for people who like you might be scared or were scared, you know, of, of this direction that, <laughs> that our industry and all industries are taking. Um, so that's very helpful. Um, I just want to ask my next question. What do PR students and young professionals, in your opinion, most need to know about AI as they enter and progress in the industry? What skills do you think they need to be developing? Clearly the stats, but is there anything else from the perspective of a, of a student or a junior practitioner? Yeah, I think it's probably a good idea for them to learn how to code in the same way that, you know, it's a good idea to learn how to type. Now, you may not be a touch typer. You can do 100, 150 words a minute, but you have to know your way around it so that when you see a page of code, even on a website, like on a WordPress site, you go to the code, you can read it and start to understand what it's doing. And one, it makes you really, really useful to the organization. Two, you can do very simple things like you can write a little script or a little program that can say, pull a number of tweets from a certain date into a spreadsheet and help you analyze them. Again, statistically, how do you create a random, randomized sample 
um, out of 50,000 tweets that you've pulled down and you want to analyze 2,000. How do you do that? You know, and so those are things that you can do. And if you don't know how to do them, there are always YouTube videos or videos that help you, but you need to take the time to learn that. And most communications programs haven't reached the point where coding is, you know, part of the curriculum. Some of them have, but uh, same thing with video skills. Like we need to know how to produce video, edit video, you know, all these extra skills. Now you don't need to do everything perfectly because nobody can, you know, and if you can, oh my gosh, you know, you'll be so in demand that you'll be turning down offers left, right, and center, but specialize, but at least know enough to, um, as Jay Bear says, be dangerous. You know, like there you go. I guess in acting, it's like the triple threat, right? Like yeah. if you can sing, dance, and act, or whatever, like know how to do right. a bunch of things. Okay, right? Do video and code in communications. There you go. Like maybe that is the new triple threat in communicate. We've just coined a new a new yeah. uh, phrase in uh, in com. Um, the way I started this podcast was to really probe trends, and and we've zeroed in on AI as a trend. But how do you keep on top of trends um, in general? You talked a lot about reading, but how do you know when you're reading all that stuff, which are the things to sort of pay more attention to? Oh, that's a great question. I have one, I'm kind of like a media junkie. And I think most people in communications are, you like the media, you're curious about things. You need to be curious. So I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. I mentioned a couple of them, MIT Technology Review, but also TechCrunch, Engadget, New York Times Technology Section, Washington Post uh, Technology, and you know, follow different um, marketing and communications and now AI influencers or thought leaders. And so you filter through that. And what again, this doesn't happen overnight. But as you start to read it, you see one person's writing about something, someone else is also writing about it. So newsletters, for example, are a really big topic these days. And you see that a lot of people are, are writing about them or starting up newsletters on various topics, you see that the big social platforms are investing heavily in those, and you start to see a trend. It's really like in research, triangulation. You need to, if, if only one person writes about it, well, it could be really interesting, could be really shareable. But as soon as you start seeing multiple voices from, you know, different disciplines, different areas writing about it, you can start to see, ah, this is something that is going to happen. Social audio, another interesting trend that happened during the pandemic because we couldn't go out and we really craved that, you know, non-recorded social interaction like you'd find at a conference or an event or even in school. And so there was one big startup clubhouse, but then everybody else jumped in. Facebook's got an offering. Twitter spaces, I find a really interesting offering in, in social audio. And you think, okay, now that there are so many different players, how is this going to evolve? You know, who, which are going to be the best places to reach our audience? You know, the, and those are the questions you can ask, but you need to look at multiple sources and su subscribing to newsletters for me is great. You can also do RSS feeds. So get a free RSS reader like Feedly, subscribe to blogs or something like Flipboard, for example, 
where you follow um, different publications or different hashtags, pulls it in in a magazine style format, whatever works for you. So in terms of advice for future and current, you know, PR practitioners, um, in terms of keeping on top of trends, you're saying, you're suggesting they, they read newsletters, perhaps have an RSS feed, follow some influencers. Is there anything else, any other advice you would say to, to the junior listeners who, um, you know, the, the ones who are just breaking into the industry, all of this can seem so overwhelming. What would you say is maybe, maybe the priorities or the top three things they could be doing? I think one is you're reading stuff. How do you organize what you've read? Because you know, you, when you're reading so much stuff, sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other, or you're, you're not sure where to find it. You can always do a Google search. One thing I do is I use social bookmarking. And you can do so many different sites. Pocket is one of the sites. I like using a site called Digo, D-I-I-G-O.com. It's free, or you can do a paid version of it. What I'll do is just get a little Chrome extension, click on it when there's an article that I like. I can annotate it and put in keywords, and then all of a sudden, you can search it. So when I do my um, digital marketing trends course for LinkedIn, throughout the month, I'm saving all these different articles. Then I do a search on Digo. All these things come up and I can curate the ones that I think are most important. And I'll see, ah, yeah, there's two things on Twitter now starting to invest in a retail portion for its app. Hmm, that's an interesting thing or something else. So you want to read it, curate it, and then share it. And I think those are three things, you know, you find, filter, share for students, uh, because that's a great way of building up their own thought leadership and becoming discoverable. And a great way of sharing it is adding context, like you had two or three lines, why this is important to you. Don't forget to tag people if you can. Like if what I do is I'll go the extra step when I share an article. If I can find someone on Twitter, I'll find them, I'll put by so and so or via whatever. One, because I think I believe in giving credit where credit is due. And two, because maybe they'll notice you, maybe not. But maybe after a little while, they, you know, they'll see, ah, this person is sharing my content. And it's a great way to build relationships too, or to start a relationship. That's, uh, that's great insight. And it dovetails nicely with, uh, work that I do with students on on building their personal online brands and building thought leadership. And it's exactly what you're saying, like, like do the reading and do the curating and do the analysis and, and you do have a voice and share yeah. that. So that's, that's terrific to hear. And uh, not enough people are doing it. People might, you know, young people might think, oh, well, if, if everyone does it, then who's going to stand out? But not everyone's doing it and not everyone will do it. So, yeah. so you will stand out if you do it. So that's awesome. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Anything, uh, anything further that you'd like to share with the listeners on the topic of trends or AI in particular? Yeah, just stay curious. Stay curious and be a little bit critical. And that's hard when you read the hype around a new product or a surface. And I find it, I find it hard myself. You know, I love Apple devices. So when they come up with something new, whether I need it or not, 
I want it. And so you need to be critical and ask yourself, do I really need that? What will it do for me? Will it help me? Am I just, you know, am I just adding to all the noise or just, you know, getting it because it seems good? Really ask those tough questions, but always be curious and always be learning. Great words of advice from Martin Waxman. I thank you so much for joining me today on PR Delivered. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea, and great talking to you as always. Thank you. PR Delivered can be found on Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts. You can reach me, Andrea Tavchar, on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you to Ryan Garbett for music and production.